It is the last official sermon as we are going through the book of James together. But starting next week, we're going to spend a few weeks with Job because Job came up in James. So it's kind of like we're not quite done yet, but this is the last verse of the book of James. So uh, how many of you have had perfect attendance throughout the whole study in the book of James? Wow, that's great. Awesome. The rest of you need to go online and catch those sermons that you missed so that you, uh, you have all of them downloaded. Well, here we are in James chapter 5, and James has a beautiful ending to this book where he challenges the church to go out and bring back people who are wandering. I saw uh, recently a new series that, uh, that came out on National Geographic um, earlier this year, and it was starring Morgan Freeman. Uh, it is called The Story of God. And as I read about uh, how they put this together and Morgan Freeman's thoughts on it, I thought, I've got to share this at the beginning of this message because, because he is the person, he's in the group of people that James has in mind. Morgan Freeman was asked by National Geographic magazine about his faith, and he said this, Well, I think I'm like most people who grow up with God. My grandmother was not religious, but she was a studious believer. You know how you say to children that God is love? Well, by the age of 13, I was beginning to question all of that. Then they asked him this. Some people picture you as God after you played God in the movie Bruce Almighty. And uh, asked him what he thought about that and what he thought about God. And he said this. Me? I don't think there is an image of God. I like the idea of rays coming down from the clouds. I like the idea of seeing the Milky Way on a clear and starry night or under a full moon. That is the essence of existence. You're there totally with the great unknown. That's God. That's God. And then they asked him about his journey uh, to 70. Uh, he went to uh, over 70 holy sites um, for this movie or for this series. They asked him about that. And he said when he went to um, the place uh, in Jerusalem that commemorates the burial of Christ, that he got kicked out. And they said, why did you get kicked out? And he said, I used the term myth in regard to what happened there, and we were asked to leave post-haste out now. Morgan Freeman, starring in a National Geographic documentary called The Story of God, plays God in the movies. And yet on his own spiritual journey we hear that he has walked away from the faith he heard about as a child. And now he wanders the world in unbelief, overwhelmed by the great unknown. If you ask him about his faith, he tells you what he likes. It's very self-focused. But he admits it's a great unknown. Your world, my world, is full of wanderers, people who have walked away from the faith they were once exposed to. Some of them were never saved to begin with. Others are grieving the Holy Spirit who dwells within them. We will see today that James, that God, wants us to go and get the wanderers. And we will learn why we need to go get them and how we should go get them. Let's pray first together. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and help us to look around. You're at work. You're at work in the lives of those around us. We know your heart as a father and we know your power. So we ask that you would use us, that you would grow our church in evangelism. Help us to look out, Lord, and to see 
that the field is white, ready for harvest. We pray that you would raise up workers and send them out into the field. Use us to expand your kingdom. We pray that you would give us fresh perspective on this, O Lord, and urgency through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in James 5, verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It says, my brothers, if any of you wanders, he wants us to know that some will wander. He directs his comments to brothers, which means he's talking to church people about church people. My brothers, if any of you wanders, what does he want? He wants us to know that it's possible for somebody within the church who's been in the church for a short or a long period of time, it's possible for them to just wander off. He wants the church to know so that we see, so that we care. My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, the first thing you can write down is this, watch for the wanderer. If we are going to bring the wanderers back, we first have to be watching for the wanderer. If we're not watching, if we're not noticing we don't know, we can't care. If we don't care, we can't help. So we have to watch for the wanderer. These people who wandered off specifically in James's heart at least claimed to be Christian at some point. They were churched. Now scholars disagree. well, does he mean somebody, a Christian who's backslidden and just needs to be brought back in? Well, the text doesn't exactly only line up with that because the consequences of their choices are eternally dire meaning he leaves it open that they could never come back and that they're going to be in hell. So we're not just thinking about the believer who has backslidden and needs to come back. This also covers in its warning the person who claimed that they were a Christian and they never were, and off they went. And they need to be brought back to the saving knowledge of Christ that they said they had, but they never did. So we're doing both. We're bringing back believers to God and we're bringing back unbelievers to the cross. We're doing both. But we have to watch for the wanderer. Jesus talked about wandering in, uh, in the parable of the, uh, the sheep, the lost sheep. He said, who among you would not go after the one sheep and leave the 99 if the one wanders off? The sheep wander. And the good shepherd goes after the one, leaves the 99 behind to bring the one back. That's the heart of Christ, who is the good shepherd. I saw this hilarious video earlier this week about a shepherd who lost a sheep, and he went and looked for him, and he found the sheep alive and well, but you'll never guess where he found him. Check out this sheep rescue. And the up. I see nothing. Una oveja, el milagro de la vida. Eso se lo pones. Te lo juro que la gente joven no lo sabe. Así nace una oveja. Una oveja de tierra. No es nuestra oveja. No es. Am I on camera? I'm out of here. Go and get the wandering sheep, and that might be what it feels like. You're coming back. Come on. How did you get stuck in this hole in the first place? I don't know. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to watch for the wanderer and go after and rescue the one who has wandered off. Now, how do people wander away? You have to know there's a few different ways. Jot this down. Some wander into unbelief. 
It's their thoughts, it's their doctrine, it's their beliefs that lead them to wander away. They drift doctrinally from God's word. They start rethinking what they believe about Jesus Christ. I don't know if he was sinless. Maybe he's not the only one. I don't know if he was eternal. That's hard to believe. They rethink their beliefs about hell. How can a good God send anyone to hell? I'm not sure I can believe in a God who would send anyone to hell. I'm going to now reimagine who God should be so that he conforms to my definition of what a loving God ought to look and act like. People rethink their views on the reliability of the Bible, homosexuality and marriage, creation, and because of that, they depart from God's word, and that's drifting. Wandering into unbelief is uh, unpardonable because it is through the truth that we are saved. If you walk away from the truth as found in God's word, there is no way for you to be saved. You are walking away from the only way God has given you to be saved. Uh, You're stepping out of the lifeboat into the icy waters at the crash site of the Titanic, and no other boat will come by to save you. We have to watch for the person who is wandering away from the truth found in Scripture. Brad Pitt was raised Southern Baptist, but when asked about his thoughts on God now, he said this, I'm probably 20% atheist and 80% agnostic. I don't think anyone really knows. You'll either find out or not when you get there. Till then, there's no point thinking about it. It, it would take a brilliant mathematician to figure out that. 20%, eight, so it's like 20% of me knows there's no God and 80% of me doesn't know if there's a God. That's, that's fuzzy math. 80% of me doesn't know and 20% of me does. That's a foolish comment. It's an ignorant comment. And it's spoken by a man who should know better because of his upbringing. It's one thing if he is raised in a place where they didn't have the word of God and he was never exposed to this truth. It's another thing for a person who should know better to make an ignorant comment like that with math that doesn't even make sense. He's flaunting his ignorance and he should know better. He's wandered off. He's wandered into unbelief and he has left behind the safe trail of God's word. Lauren and I went uh, camping with the family a few weeks ago. And we went to Silver Lake up in uh, Michigan. Have you ever been there? Big dunes. There's dunes everywhere. So we decided to go for a little hike on the dunes. Now, when you think dunes, you don't necessarily think trail. It's like big sandbox, right? So, so you just go wherever you want. Well, not these dunes. Here's a picture of me with Cassie standing near the edge of this dune. And I don't know who designed that sign, but they really wanted to send a clear message that if you walk past that rope, you will die. (laughs) Certain death, danger, avalanche terrain, stay away from edge of dune. So we obeyed that sign, all right? I'm just going to tell you, the double double skull and crossbones is what really did it for me. I didn't go past that warning because somebody really wanted me to know that it's treacherous past there. Stay on the trail. Stay away from the edge. We went out on this um, Jeep tour too. They have these red Jeeps where you could, your family could go in a Jeep and then there's a convoy of like six Jeeps and they let you drive your own Jeep and then you go up in the dunes and you do sorts of, all sorts of crazy stuff like you know, going over the dunes and, and going into the holes and through water and stuff. So we did that. But they said, stay on the trail. 
They said, this whole dune area is an old forest that is now covered in sand. They said this was a forest, and they stripped it bare. All the soil went away, and now the sand covers an old forest. Check out this picture of a tree stump that's out there, and if you're not careful, if you go off the trail, you run over that. And there's all sorts of little stumps and spikes just sticking up in the ground. So we stayed on the trail because otherwise you'd get a flat tire. When you wander away from God's word and start rethinking things that are black and white, you're wandering off the safe trail of scripture. And if you leave the safe trail of scripture, you're walking to your own disaster. Watch for the wanderer. Some wander into unbelief. If you're rethinking what the scripture says, if you're starting to downplay the Bible's authority on your life, I'm appealing with you right now. Turn back. Get back on the trail. You're on the other side of that rope, and there's a warning sign telling you not to go there. Comedian Janine Garofalo was raised Catholic. She was churched, but she told uh, Bill Maher in 1998, she said this, I'm not religious anymore. The Bible, I've said it before, is a beautifully written work of fiction. She gets rid of God's word, and then whatever church she had growing up is gone too. We have to beware of this. 2 Timothy 2, 17-18 says this, And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have, listen, swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. So there were some teachers, and Paul was warning the church about them. They have swerved from the truth. So here they are, on an eight-lane highway, in their lane. And then suddenly they swerve from the truth into oncoming traffic. And they're putting themselves and other people in harm's way. We have to view people who are departing from orthodox faith, leaving behind the truths found in this word, as walking away from God himself. And we have to go after them and bring them back. Watch for the wanderer, the person who wanders off into unbelief. Write this down. Some wander into misbehavior. Some wander into unbelief, and it's their beliefs that get them going, and then off they go. Some wander into misbehavior. Now, if you wander off into unbelief, you will end up in misbehavior. If you wander off in misbehavior, you will wander off into unbelief. But you never know which one of these is going to be the bait that's dangling in front of them. Is it the sin? Is it what they want? And then off they go, and then they start rewriting what they think about the Bible? Or is it the doubt? Is it the ignorance? Is it the belief first that goes and then their behavior follows? Some wander into misbehavior. Greed gets a hold of their heart. They turn toward money. Chase it. Do whatever money wants to get as much as they possibly can. Greed makes them wander off. For others, it's lust, promiscuous behavior, and companionship and pleasure and the thrill gets them to wander away. For others, it's bad relationships. They're vengeful. They're bitter. They can't forgive. And as their heart grows cold and hard, they turn away from a God who is forgiving. Others are just flat out selfish and slothful and lazy. They don't want to lift a finger to help other people. And they wander off into misbehavior by neglecting everything God has for them. They wander away into sin. If you let go of the commands found in God's word... You're letting go of God's hand. We have to understand that. Letting go of God's word is letting go of God's hand. 
and you're no longer walking with Him unless you're walking in His commands. You can't say, well, I've started this new lifestyle and I still have my faith in Christ. No, if you let go of God's Word, you let go of God's hand. You can't say, well, I'm rethinking hell and I, you know, I'm not sure what I believe about creation. No, if you walk away from the truth of Scripture, you have let go of God's hand. Some wander into unbelief, others wander into misbehavior, and the church does a poor job too often of warning people of where they're going. I saw a sign recently that is hilarious, but it's a terrible sign. Check it out. This sign uh, says this, caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. And then it says at the bottom in tiny print, also the bridge is out ahead. (laughs) Now, I think that when the church has a responsibility to tell people that what they're thinking and believing or what they're doing is a bridge out, they often don't get that message across with as much urgency as God's word requires. And what the person is warned about, if anything, stops far short of what God wants the church and loving believers to warn their fellow believers about. It's happened too many times where me, my wife, someone I know sits down and starts to help someone graciously see, listen, if you walk down this path, it's going to lead you to ruin and misery. And they've already had other believers console them in their sin. Well, I've told my my group this, or I've told my friends this, or my parents this, and they think that this is probably best. There I am with the warning sign, bridge out. And someone has already said, no, you'll be fine. And toned down the warning. Watch for the wanderer. Some wander into unbelief. Others wander into misbehavior. For some people, it's the behavior. It's the, uh, it's the black and white demands placed on every person's life. The righteous code of ethics that does them in. They can't live by that code anymore. They would say the Bible's out of date. It's behind. It's on the wrong side of history. Uh, Anne Hathaway cites this as the reason she left behind uh, her Catholicism. She told GQ magazine that her brother Michael's sexuality motivated her to leave Catholicism behind. Why should I support an organization, she says, that that has a limited view of my beloved brother? Her definition of what the church says about her brother is not biblically accurate. But that is what she uses to justify leaving the church behind. The behavior of a loved one that I wish to support is the reason I no longer go to church. Some wander into misbehavior and it's the sinful lifestyle that they want to cling to. And many are walking away because the Bible teaches us things about sin that is no longer popular. And we have to go and get these people and bring them back. We have to reach out and restore them. Hey, if you're a millennial, 30 years and younger, Younger, raise your hand if you're 30 years and younger. You're a millennial. All right, wonderful. I did a little research this week on some stats. Millennials aren't doing great when it comes to church. In fact, according to a Barna poll, only two in 10 millennials believe church is important. All right, millennials, listen. Two in 10 people from your generation in the United States think this is important. You have a lot of work to do. You. You have to get your generation back to church. They're wandering off. Two in ten is a staggering statistic. They're leaving. They're wandering off. 
and we have to bring them back. There are many orphan Christians all around you. Christians who have no church, they've wandered away. And understand that wandering away from church is wandering away from truth because the Bible says do not give up meeting together. Uh, There really is no such thing as an unchurched, healthy Christian. It doesn't exist. There's something dysfunctional in their faith if they are not connected to other believers. And Christ is grieved by the fact that they don't have a church. You have to see clearly that if they've wandered away from church, they've wandered away from the truth. It's not okay what they're doing. They won't be fine going to church on TV. You have to reach out and bring them back. Do you see how we have to catch the urgency? Watch for the wanderer. Some wander into unbelief. Others wander into misbehavior. We have to go and bring them back. Write this down. Number two, bring the wanderer back. It says, my brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth, we've got to see it. And someone brings him back. Bring him back. We've got to bring him back. We see it and we pursue the wanderer and we reclaim him or her for Christ. That takes an investment of time and energy and effort for the one sheep who wanders off. But listen, you have to understand that you are God's rescue plan. You. In Ezekiel 3, 17 to 18, I love what God says to Ezekiel. He says this, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. That's haunting. His fault, he went to hell. Coming up in your judgment. His blood is on your hands. This makes me see my neighbors differently. We're going to a family party today. This makes me see my family differently. Their blood, your hands. Paul mentioned frequently, my my conscience is clear on that. He he went further than he should have to try and reach some of his fellow Jews. But he knew that God wanted him to do as much as humanly possible to try and reach out and bring those who are wandering into the fold of God. We have to be consumed with zeal for Christ. But we have to know that it's our job to bring the wanderers back. Again, this includes both believers who have wandered away from church, the scripture, and God. We restore believers to the church. But we also rescue unbelievers We go after the backsliders and we go after the unrepentant. Now, one reason that we often don't reach out and try and bring people back, frankly, is because we lose heart. We've tried. Feel like we're banging our heads up against the wall. And we start to allow the lie to settle in that God can't bring them in. God can't. We lose heart. I remember the story of Hezekiah, great king in the Old Testament, man of faith. He reformed the religious landscape of the whole land. He brought people back into worshiping the Lord. Hezekiah was an amazing king, a man of faith. Isaiah the prophet told him he was about to die, and Hezekiah prayed, and God added 15 years to his life. Bonus years. The city was surrounded, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded, and he prayed, and 185,000 enemy soldiers died without an arrow fired. God put them to death and gave them a triumphant victory. He was an amazing man of God. 
Yet after he died, his son Manasseh, who was 12 and he became king at first, turned away from the faith. A great man of God set his son up to continue his reform, and the son at some point in his life turned and walked away. Manasseh's sin got so bad, he practiced witchcraft, he sacrificed his own child in fire to an idol. Hezekiah's grandchild was burnt to death because his son walked away from the faith. And Manasseh was given the honor of having the longest reign of any king in the Old Testament, over 50 years. It's likely that Manasseh is the one who ordered that the prophet Isaiah be sawn in half. Hey, do you think there's anyone in Scripture who was long past ever being able to be saved by God? I mean, God's never going to get a hold of that guy. He sought a prophet in half. And yet, guess how that story ended? Israel was overthrown. Manasseh was taken off into captivity. And there he came to his senses. And he repented. Second Chronicles tells us that Manasseh repented and sought the Lord. The Bible says he humbled himself greatly. He murdered his own kid. He killed an author of the Bible. And he was forgiven by God. God brought him back. His grandson was King Josiah. And so the line of faith continued. But listen, the next time you start to think, it's hopeless for this person. God's never going to get his hand on my relative, on my co-worker, on my... God's never... There's no way God's going to get that person. Yeah, have they, have they burnt their child to death yet? Have they sawn in half an author of the Scripture? Because if that guy got saved, whoever it is that you're praying for is still on the list people who God can save. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Never give up. Bring the wanderer back. Don't lose heart. When it says here, wanders from the truth, that implies distance. Bringing back means there's distance that needs to be recaptured. Whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering. We learn the reality that if a person wanders away from the truth or from God, there's distance between them and, and God. And we have to go off and bring them back. The stakes are high because the person is wandering away from God's law. And it says here that our job is to go out and to save them by bringing them back to Christ. When we went swimming at the Orland Pool earlier this year, which I don't know if you live in Orland, but I think you have the best pool in the region. It's like a water park. There we are swimming, having a good old time, and uh, puts the palest pool to shame. They've got a lot of work to do. There we are, kids loving it. We stayed there all day long. But every once in a while, a whistle would blow, and, and everything would stop. The music would turn off, and all the lifeguards would stand up, and they'd all be looking in the right direction, in the same direction. And we're all like, what's going on? And this one time, one of the lifeguards, she dove into the water, and she somehow sent off the whistle alert before she dove in. Everything stops. All the lifeguards are looking at her, and she pulled a little kid out of the water. Apparently, the kid didn't have his floaty vest on, so she made a rescue. The world stopped, though, for that moment. All eyes were on that pool. People came out of the office and rushed over. And the lifeguards didn't sit back down until they were given the all clear. And I wonder if... When you come across someone who is not saved and they have wandered from the truth, 
and you feel a prompting to talk to them or they start asking you questions about church, does your world stop? Is that what you're doing right then? I wonder if in our youth ministry, our kids' ministry, if somebody who's not saved starts to show some interest, if you understand that it doesn't matter what the next thing on the plan is, this is not what you're doing for the next 10 minutes. Do you let God interrupt your life so that you can share the gospel with someone who's not saved? I love the portrait of those lifeguards. They are trained. When someone needs saving, everything stops until the job is done. I'd like for that urgency to be present throughout our church. Sunday morning, you're walking over to the cookie table and somebody starts talking to you. Cookies can wait. Sunday night youth ministry, oh, it's time to go and have the shaving cream fight in the park. That can wait. Oh, I'm on my way to work. Get the phone call. Someone, it can wait. Anything can wait if God gives you a divine appointment. I wonder if we don't get the divine appointments because we won't take them. We're too busy. We have to bring the wanderer back. Maybe we won't bring the wanderer back because we don't feel confident we would know what to share with them. Well, let me give you this help. If you only have time for one verse, Romans 6.23 is a great verse. We'll put it up on the screen. If, if you only have time for one verse, you know, share this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So listen, let's say I'm talking to Anthony here and I realize that he's a no-good scoundrel, unbeliever, on his way to hell, but he asks me a question about faith, right? But I know I've got five seconds because he's moving on. Okay, so here's my cue. Hey, listen, man, let me share with you something that changed my life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. I die because of my sin. But God gave me a free gift, and it's eternal life in Christ Jesus. I have to take it as a free gift, and it only comes from Christ. Do you know you're going to heaven? That's it. That took like one minute. And you might have that opportunity this week. You might have that opportunity this afternoon. Whenever you have the chance to share your faith and bring the wanderer back, take it. Oh, I don't know what to say. I'm going to mess it up. Oh, really? So they're like, more going to go to hell now? <laughs> they're as messed up as it can get. Take the risk. We're commanded to warn and rescue. Not silently, politely sit and watch a person wander to their own destruction. Certainly never to high-five their sins as they're walking away from God. Well, you know, everybody has their own way. Oh, you know, it's true for you. High-five your sin. That's the most unloving thing you can ever do to someone in your life, and they will never thank you in the next world, ever. Thanks for being so polite to me, as you never told me how to get saved. They will never thank you. Who then are you really serving? Not them. You. You're making it easier for you, not them. That's convicting. The way I'm interacting with my spirituality with other people, am I doing what's best for them or for me? Sure, it would be awfully convenient if I keep my mouth shut or affirm what they're saying. Are you serving yourself in the way that you share your faith? Watch for the wanderer. Some wander into unbelief, others wander into misbehavior. Number two, bring the wanderer back. And number three, write this down. Rescue them. Why? Because they're stuck in sin and death. Rescue them from sin and death. It says in verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
This is the re- the, the, there's teeth in this verse where it says, save his soul from death. That could mean physical death. And in the context, you can make an argument that it could be a sick person who's asking for prayer, but they're not confessing their sins, so they might just die. And if you can get them to confess their sins, then they'll live. All right, so that kind of works in the context, but usually when this comes up where you're saving a soul from death, it's not the body, you're saving the person from what's called spiritual death or the second death. Um, You see, when you leave this life, there's a judgment. And if you're not saved, if you've not been brought back from wandering away from God, then the Bible says you die again. Death is a separation. Your first death is a separation of you from this world. The second death is a separation of you from heaven, from God forever. Death is the end of life. <clears throat> and the warning here that we're saving, bringing back a sinner from his wandering and saving his soul from death hints that this person is likely going to hell. And bringing them back is bringing them away from condemnation. One commentator said this, the jaws of hell snap shut on air as the believer once again walks the way of life. You can't lose your salvation once you're saved. You're eternally secure in the hands of God. If you read through the book of Ephesians chapter 1, there are so many things done to a believer that can't be reversed. makes no sense if you read those things in reverse. But if someone who has been raised in the church, someone who has attended Bible studies and gone through Awana, walks away and never returns, they never had it. There was always some holdout, some stronghold, some force field in their heart where they never let the love and truth of Christ fully penetrate their heart. You can't tell sometimes if the person is saved or not, and we might not sort it out until we get to heaven. Because in the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells of some sinful Christians who are locked down in sin, who God actually takes home to spare them from further, uh, from further sinful activity. And it describes them as entering the next life as one who just escaped through fire, which means they don't have much to show for how they finished their life. So there are some Christians like Ananias and Sapphira who die in their sin. They were true believers. But if you see a person who wanders off <clears throat> and the fruit in their life is gone and decade after decade goes by and there's simply no evidence that they worship Christ, that they walk with him, that they work for him, then that person needs to be saved. And we have to rescue them from sin and death. Whether you have on your heart somebody who's backslidden and a Christian needs to be restored or somebody who's lost and they obviously now have no fruit, they've never been saved, it's our job to bring them back because we're rescuing them from death and we're rescuing them from sin. In 1 Timothy 4.16, it says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy's like giving a warning to, or Paul's giving a warning to Timothy and the audience. Hey, you don't walk away from this. You're, you're on the hook to stay under this too. Paul's giving Timothy, you know, one of the most prominent understudies in the New Testament, this, the eye of scrutiny. You stay under it too. So nobody's under this, uh, nobody's outside of this need to be warned, to don't drift, don't leave. And we have to remember that when it comes to sin, we have to be saved from it. It says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Your basic need in life is to be saved. 
The portrait painted in Scripture is one of God being over here and there being a grand canyon of separation in between Him and you and you being over here. You've wandered away from God. Your sins have separated you from God. You have to be saved. The only way to be saved is to realize that Jesus Christ stepped into the world from heaven. He came down from God to save us and to bring us back from our wandering to God. The only reason Christ can save us is because he offered a sacrifice on the cross so that the fullness of your sins can be covered over. And when it says here that we're bringing wanderers back so that we will cover a multitude of sins, God doesn't wink at your sins and sweep them under the rug. They have to be justly dealt with so that he'd be a fair God. The way he did that is by sending his his son, who was without sin, to the cross. Because Jesus was sinless, he can pay in full the price tag for all of your sins. It says in Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus made the final payment for your sins. I love the final payment. We had car payments before on one of our cars where they gave us a book and then the book was the ticket and you'd tear off the ticket, write out a check and you'd send it in. Now I do it all online. But that book, I remember feeling great as that book of payment stubs got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then I remember getting to the last payment. And I pulled out the last payment. It's a special payment. you got to call to find out how much the last payment is. How much do I owe? Well, what date are you paying on? And then I wrote out the final payment for that car and sent it in, and then it was done. At the cross, Jesus tore out that last and final payment slip for your sins, and he sent it in. Paid in full. When we go off to get a wanderer, we bring them back so that their sins can be fully paid for at the cross. We want them to experience the love and the mercy and the justice of Christ. So we rescue them from sin and death. Jesus saves forever. We have to bring people back to Christ. But people have turned away from this truth. People think that biblical truth is old school. Nobody believes that anymore. Bruce Willis attended a Lutheran church when he was a kid, but he later became openly hostile to organized religion. He said this, organized religions in general, in my opinion, are dying forms. They were important when we didn't know why the sun moved, why weather changed, why hurricanes occurred, but not anymore. It's outdated. He's saying that church is, eh, when we didn't understand how the world works, but now that science has arrived, we don't need that anymore. How pompous, and he knows better. And he walked away from it in arrogance. He doesn't think he needs a savior, but he needs to be rescued from sin and death. He needs his sins covered over by a redeemer who can restore him to God. You know, my story is I was raised in the Catholic church. We only went a few times a year, so I was never fully involved in all that. Uh, But I went through CCD. I went through uh, the religious ed and got confirmed and everything, but I didn't agree or believe any of it. I remember during the CCD ceremony just laughing with my friends and making fun of everything that the priest was saying. It meant nothing to me. And Jesus Christ meant absolutely nothing to me. I know some people uh, from my background who are Catholic and they're saved and they still remain in that church and they try and reach out to people. But for me, it meant nothing. And here when I was in college, my friend invited me to church. He took the risk. He, we were in actually a heavy metal band together. I was the drummer. He was the bass player. And he went to church every week, weekend, which to me, that made him a nerd. You go to church every weekend, you nerd. And yet he invited me to church and I went. 
And I got saved when I was a freshman in college. He reached out and he invited me to come. I was wandering away from God and he helped me to find my way back. I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget a girl named Terry. She was in band at Stag High School. We were both saxophone players. And I always made fun of her. And uh, she was Miss Goody Two-Shoes. She didn't talk a lot about her faith. But later in life, uh, at my 10th high school reunion, she found out I was a Christian and she screamed. (laughs) I just heard somebody scream. "Ah!" And I turned around and it was Terry. And she was looking at me like this. She said, you're a Christian? She said, you're a pastor? And then I'll never forget this. She, said, she went like this. She said, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And I was like, I was terrible to her. I prayed for you. She was praying for me because I had wandered off. My daughter Ellie just started Shepherd High School a few weeks ago, and they have a Christian club. I'm so thankful for that for ISP and all the work they're doing in the community. So she went the first week, nobody was there, she got discouraged. She went the second week and there were nine people there. She went the third week and there were 50 people in the room. She sent me a picture, Dad, this is awesome. And so afterwards I said, were those all Christians? And she goes, no, this kid who's a senior stood by the door and as everybody got off the bus, he said, all freshmen, come on in for a meeting. All freshmen, report to this room for a meeting. And they're all like this. <laughs> We're freshmen. He's a senior. <laughs> 50 kids in the room. He gave him donuts. And then he stood up there and he's like, how many of you have had a bad experience in school before? How many of you want your school to be an awesome, loving place filled with encouragement? All right, that's why this club exists. You should start coming every week. Enjoy the donuts. And then he talked to them about the club. <laughs> What's he doing? He's getting the wanderers. <laughs> Now, I don't endorse the way he did it. And we don't train them to do that. Okay? But I like his creativity. (laughs) Hey, watch for the wanderer. Bring the wanderer back. Rescue them from sin. Rescue them from death. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders, bring From the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Who's wandering that you need to go and get? Let's pray.